When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romanverse. It's episode 112. Uh, thanks for sticking with us after taking a week off last week. We've got the the full crew back assembled. Jimmy and Brandon are with me for uh, a little chat about a few topics going on around the soccerverse, and then uh, a lot of listener questions that you guys were nice enough to submit. So guys, welcome back. Jimmy, I know you got to have a nice little vacation. I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving here in the States and are uh, ready to talk some Roma. Yeah, definitely ready to get back into talking some Roma. Uh, as much as it's been kind of a shame that we haven't had any major plays by Roma players in this World Cup, I'd say it's been a relatively entertaining one so far. Yeah, what's our our, our minutes leader? Is it the forty five from Zalewski, or did I don't think I don't think Venia's substitute minutes have caught up to that yet? He's like in the twenties, I think. But that's, that's all we've got yeah. so far, right? Yeah, it's Zalewski crazy yeah it's uh it made my heart happy to see to see Vina running around out there the other day against <laughs> Portugal and seeing uh Bernardo Silva quickly steal the ball from him <laughs> after a poor touch but you know we, we love our Roma players so as long as we get to see them it's all good yeah I actually messaged you guys jokingly after I guess it was the the first couple uh you know the first match day worth of matches and I was like guys I guess Vina is like you know better than Dybala at this point because he's getting more minutes than than Dybala at the World <laughs> Cup uh but yeah. joking aside I mean for an Argentina side that hasn't looked very threatening outside of those two goals that they scored the other day against Mexico very surprised not to see him get some looks um personally but I don't know. I guess I'm, the less he plays, probably the better for him in terms of his health. But yeah, I, I don't see how he doesn't get into the next match or so if uh, Argentina continues to struggle. My working theory there is that Messi has never played well with other world-class attackers, whether that was, you know, Icardi at his peak or whoever. Like, he's he's never been a great sharer of the wealth on the national team side. And if you want to be blunt about it, I think that's part of the reason why Argentina has had such struggles with actually winning a World Cup, despite having arguably the best player to play the game ever on that team for the past, you know, God, 20 years. Um, so I would say that if Argentina wants to go far, they need to figure out a way to include Dybala. I'm not confident that they're going to go far at all if they don't. 
Yeah, I yeah. mean, Lautaro not not really doing much for them, right, Brandon? I mean, what, what do you see out, out of that Argentina setup? No, I, I agree with Jimmy. It seems that any striker not named uh, Aguero, who we all know is one of Messi's best friends, just doesn't seem to really get in the side. Um, or if they do, they end up being the scapegoat, um, a la Iguain, for so many years um, when Argentina weren't meeting expectations. But in terms of how they're currently constructed, I think, you know, that the 35-36 the game win streak was – always going to end at some point. I'm glad that they, that it was snapped prior to Italy, um, prior to them reaching Italy's record. And, um, but I, I, you know, I I think the first couple of games, you're kind of gauging where you're at. And so um, with that victory against Mexico, you expect them to uh, win their third game quite comfortably and end up topping the group. Uh, I I believe, what was it? Poland, they play next, right? So that's, but yeah, so always a tough task with Lewandowski, Zaleski, obviously, and our in our old pal Chesney and Gold. But um, I, you know, not going to bet any money towards that match. And uh, but I, I would, if I did, I would I would wager that Argentina would comfortably get the dub on that one. Yeah, sometimes you wonder if these big teams need to get that poor result, so to speak, out of the way early on in order to make that deep run, like the Italy sides that you know, made finals and, and won World Cups tended to start slowly. I'm thinking of 2006, a draw against the United States on an own goal and, and some of these other sides that we've seen, you know, kind of struggle early and then they, they kind of find their feet. I, I'm wondering if that's what happens with Argentina, but they definitely have to pick it up a bit because even the Mexico match, they're a bit sluggish in attack. So while we're on the topic of the World Cup, we do have a listener question from Costaba Harry Haran, who has been you know, prodding us to get a listener Q&A going again. He loves submitting questions and we love reading his questions out. So we're going to start with one of his. And he asked, what's with the big teams being shaky in the World Cup? Why are we seeing so many upsets? So, I mean, I would just say, first off, that this is a totally different timing for this World Cup. And it's a lot easier for players who are not trying to juggle three or four competitions at once during the club season to shift over to the World Cup and be ready from the get-go. And what we're seeing here, I think, is quite honestly just, you know, the problems with having this Winter World Cup on display. Uh, One of the big problems leading into the World Cup was that, you know, players were racking up injuries a lot because of just how condensed a lot of the schedules were in anticipation of the World Cup. And now we're seeing kind of the flip side of that, that a lot of bigger clubs just can't handle players from bigger clubs can't handle, you know, not having an actual break at any point in their schedule from, you know, the beginning of the season until now. So I would put a lot of it on that, to be honest with you. I think that the the countries that we think of normally as, you know, kind of the biggest club, the biggest teams around are struggling because of that. I would also just say that there's probably a lot more parity in the World Cup, you know, team base than there was in re- in past World Cups. And I think that's a good thing. As much as I'm somewhat skeptical of the decision to expand the World Cup to, you know, I, I forget how big it's going to be. 48, I believe. 48, yeah, yeah, exactly. 48. 48 teams. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that because I'm not sure that making it that much bigger is going to actually create interesting matches. But I also just do think that it's a more well-balanced group of teams 
um, this time for the World Cup. I think that we're actually seeing fewer teams that can get beat on, up on successively um, other than Qatar, essentially. Because even Canada, who were the second club team to get uh, eliminated, uh, they looked pretty impressive at points in the matches that they ended up losing. But, you know, they looked impressive at points. So I would just yeah, say they, they that, qualified ahead of the United States and Mexico, right? So they, they must be doing something right. Yeah. So I would just say that in general, I think that we're seeing better teams enter this World Cup. Fewer teams that are just going to get beat up by the Frances and the Spains and the Italy's, if the Italy's actually ever make the World Cup, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both of those factors. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, go, go ahead, Brandon. I was going to say, I completely agree on the, um, you know, the timing of the World Cup and how it impacts um, some of these star players. For example, I, I was watching Belgium the last couple of games and Kevin De Bruyne isn't as sharp as you would expect. And I would probably attribute that to uh, the the wear and tear of the, the, the club season um, and not having that two, three, four week break that often predates the World Cup. Um, so it won't add much onto what Jimmy already, you know, perfectly pointed out already, but I think that, I think that's a strong factor. Um, and I do think, I, I agree with the parody point as well. It's just kind of unfortunate that that probably will go away once, um, the, the fields expanded a little bit, which it'll be nice to see some of the teams that we aren't used to seeing. I'm thinking a Norway, for example, um, and Italy even because, uh, <laughs> As, as we've come to discover, it's not it's not so locked in with them these days. But um, it'll it'll be good to see the nations where you know they might have only one star player, um, and it's always a question of like, oh, what if so and so is able to to play in the World Cup? I'm thinking of you know George Weah with Liberia, um, for example. Um, so that'll be good to see. But I I do agree that the uh, there's a little bit more parity than we normally otherwise would see. Um, but Cutter, man, they just, I don't know if they just didn't show up, huh? It's <laughs> one goal, three losses. It's just brutal from them. Yeah, I, I think you guys touched on it. And, and like you threw in there, that extra two-week window, not only is it good for rest for those players of those bigger countries, it gives them time to to train together and gel. These guys don't get to play together all that much. You know, there's, a few international windows scattered throughout the season and then usually one at the end of the season for either qualifiers or friendlies or when a tournament comes up, a tournament. And um, I, I remember watching, I think it was the Saudi Arabia-Poland match over the weekend, and they mentioned that Saudi Arabia has been, you know, training for two, three weeks together, and that's the team that beat Argentina uh, and and did it fairly impressively because they they limited Argentina. They, they scored two very nice goals, and that team's been training together a, a bit more than some of these others. And I agree with the parity point in the sense that I think the Asian countries, the African countries, um, even maybe some of the North American countries are starting to catch up a bit because their players are playing in these big European leagues now, right? Uh, these leagues aren't so homogeneous like they were in the 90s. You know, back in the 90s, Serie A had a five foreigner limit, which including included Europeans as well. Now with the EU, that limit is is five players that aren't of the EU, uh, I, I believe in Setiaf, they, they if it's still the same as it was a few years ago. So you're seeing guys getting more game time against top competition on a week-to-week basis. I mean, I look at the United States roster, right? Most of their players are in the Premier League. They're playing in the Bundesliga. You got a couple in Serie A. You got uh, Musa playing for Valencia in Spain. 
So these guys are all getting that exposure, that experience. So you're not coming just from like a domestic league like MLS or, you know, the J League in Japan, just a couple of quick ones that come to mind where you're going to be completely overwhelmed by guys that are playing top-notch competition every week. I think it's evening out in that sense. The 48-team expansion, I won't go too much into it because it's four years away, but I think that will water down the tournament a bit, even with other teams getting better. But uh, it's been a fun World Cup to watch in that sense. It's been hard to kind of predict who's going to win some of these matches, but it makes it a little more fun, a little more unpredictable, especially when, you know, a team like Italy is not there to root for. So it's interesting. We'll keep an eye on it, and we'll see. Hopefully some of these Roman players get a little more time. Um, So that's the World Cup for now, unless you guys want to add anything else. I would just ask you guys, I know this isn't a listener question, but um, since we're on the subject, do you guys think we'll see the U.S. win a World Cup in our lifetimes? Yes. In our lifetime? Yeah, I, I think so. I I wouldn't say, definitely wouldn't say this time around, but I mean, I also wouldn't be utterly shocked to see them get to, you know, I don't know, quarterfinals this time. I could see them, like, Netherlands don't seem that frightening they have not been impressive so just since you know we're all u.s based and, and supporting the u.s in this tournament i i have to say of the teams that they could have drawn of those big european countries i think the way they've performed so far the dutch are a team i think that you'd at least want to take a crack at this this tournament unlike dutch teams of the past yeah i would 100 percent agree with that and you know i think that once they get beyond that, I haven't looked too far at the bracket. I, I think it's Brazil, uh, I think, would be the quarter. So that's kind of... Yeah, well, that's probably, <laughs> that's that's probably the end oh, of that's, that's where the journey ends. Yeah, that's where the journey ends. So if they do get by the Dutch, I don't really expect them to get past but the hey, in this tournament. That's that's a huge improvement. Like, they didn't even yes. make it in 2018. And this is also the youngest squad in at the World Cup. In I the think. World Cup, yeah. I was just going to say that. So, They're building for 2026. Now, will they be good enough in 2026 to win it? I don't know the World Cup. Uh, you know, you need a little luck along the way besides skill. But I, mean, I, I think a, they're I trending in the right direction. Yeah. I could see a 28-year-old Pulisic, a 24-year-old Reyna. Like a lot of these guys are going to be right in their prime for that next World Cup. And the funny thing is, you know, speaking of other World um, Cup teams that have kind of disappointed, Belgium, they had their golden generation, and unfortunately, they they kind of whiffed it. Like they got close, and they're a small country, so it's impressive that they ever got close to winning a lot. But they were. De Bruyne was saying before their most recent match, which was a which was a loss. Like, I don't think we win the World Cup. Uh, we're too old, and I can. And it does not feel that long ago when they were the young upstarts. So yeah. that I mean, these these things only come around once every four years. And given that, I do think that there's a, there's a decent chance that next time would be like the chance for the world cup for the u.s with this generation of players with this generation yeah and i think the goal is to get kids excited right and to not make it a a golden generation type thing for a country as big as the united states it's you know rotate players in and out like we've seen with big powerhouse countries like brazil like germany like italy with populations that can support that right and and i think the biggest thing with the u.s is for having over 300 million people there, you know, soccer historically has been like the fifth most popular sport um, amongst like American, you know, viewers and things of that nature, probably uh, unlike in other countries where it's always number one. So I think if, if they do the right things in terms of player development, which they've started to do with these MLS academies, get players abroad at younger ages, which they're doing, I think they can be, you know, in four years, a team that maybe isn't going to be like, 
a favorite, so to speak, but it'll be on home soil. And I think they could make themselves into a contender to make a deep run at least. See, that's, that's kind of what, where my thinking lies. I think to say not in our lifetimes is probably a little extremist just because, you know, uh, fingers crossed. That's a that's pretty lengthy time. Um, we hope, right? Event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, but I, for, for me, I think, so I think 2026 is a great opportunity to make a deep run. I'm, I'm thinking semifinals. Um, but with, with this golden generation, my thing is, uh, you know, as we develop, by the time that we develop our version of Mbappe, so let's say that Pulisic is like the prototype, but when the U.S. develops their its version of Mbappe that's, you know, one of the b- top three players in the world. France has developed like 82 Mbappes by then. Brazil de- developed 93 Vinicius and Rodrigo clones. And so I think from that perspective, the U.S. will always be playing catch-up to an extent. And at least in my lifetime of viewing World Cups, um, the favorite usually, a favorite usually wins. It's not yeah, necessarily one of those the top favorite. Three, it's one, four or five teams, right? Right. So I, I, I do think that um, obviously luck plays a huge role. So I can see the U.S. playing in a final um, at some point down the road. I just think with the way that these some of these powerhouse countries are developing talent. I mean, France sticks out of my mind because we so often hear, and Brazil, we so often hear of these 16, 17-year-olds that are getting picked up by these huge clubs. And so, you 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 know, the U.S. is starting to do that with sending, um, you know, Paxson Erickson, for example, to, uh, to Germany. Um, I don't know if that's official yet or not, or if that's just a rumor, but... Um, so it's baby steps, but I think that gap is just always going to be there. That makes it so difficult, but it's a, it's a seven game tournament more or less. And, you know, luck always plays a role. So I think that they can do it. It's just, I think they're always going to be playing catch up to an extent. Yeah, I think, I think so to, to an extent, it's, it's going to be hard to close that gap with, uh, you know, competition for the best athletes in, in the NBA and NFL and, and baseball right. and, you know, even hockey, you know, to some extent. So, Certainly will be something to keep an eye on. I'm as as an American, I'm hoping that one day we will get to see a deeper run than the quarterfinals we saw in 02. And and you know, we get to to really get excited about a, a World Cup from from a US perspective at least. Because I've seen Italy and that's you know, there's nothing like it. Right. Yeah, even you know, uh, the competition like the Euros, uh, how how wrapped up in all of it you get so to, oh, yeah. to experience something like that for the u.s would be great yeah that's for sure so moving on from the world cup Serie A is the gift that keeps on giving because even when there's no action to speak of for the next i don't know six weeks or so five weeks still uh we have big breaking news yesterday we're recording on tuesday so uh i guess it was just after the workday u.s time yesterday that Juventus uh the whole board of directors including Andrea Agnelli retire uh not retire resigned rather uh amidst a investigation of you know I guess government officials or so to speak and apparently inflating values of transfers which I'm not shocked when you see what they were getting for some of these lesser known players um and kind of cooking the books a bit so I mean, we don't know exactly what they were doing. I, I haven't seen any specific reports. I haven't had a lot of time to look the last day or so. But, I mean, 
this is uh, certainly to, I don't know, to the level of Calciopoli because it's not being fixed on the pitch, but man, this is, this is big news. I'm shocked. I'm just absolutely shocked that Juventus as a club might do something slightly uh, not above board. You know, man, like I really thought that they were one of the good guys in, <laughs> in European football. I thought that they just, you know, they represent what the sport should be. And I'm just so brokenhearted about it. No, I mean, like, seriously, they're always doing this. Come on, let's be real. It's not a question of if they ever stopped doing it. It's a question of when they're like, you know, they're, they're always doing it. It's about when they get caught. And it seems like COVID made it impossible for them to, you know, qualify for financial fair play without budging the numbers on some of their salary payments. That's what apparently the big actual legal ramifications are, not necessarily just the misvaluing of players, but saying that they docked four months of pay from their players, but then paid behind their back, like for three of those four months. So, uh. so it's, it, it has to do with a lot of things that considering Juventus is a publicly traded company, uh, you know, people people should probably go to jail for financial misrepresentation of a of a company's financial figures. Um, so I can't say that I'm too torn up about it, mainly because for as long as I've followed Roma, all apologies to Lazio, Juventus have been the major thorn in my side as a Roma fan for as long as I can remember. Uh the 2010s were consistently about Roma being in second place to Juventus in the league. Uh, the 2010s were consistently about Juventus taking away some of my favorite players from Roma. Uh, and yeah, I, I really hope that they get the book thrown at them because the smugness that their fans often have about winning constantly really should go away after, you know, successive cheating scandals. I would say for me, it's uh, the same level of surprise that I had when um, I forget which player it was exactly, but uh, somebody in Atalanta got suspended for doping. Yep. Uh, <laughs> pa- pa- was it Palomino, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, okay, well, you know, we, we knew this. So glad to see that chickens are coming home to roost. I think it's difficult to uh, compare this to any scandal we've seen before, just because there's not a, like you mentioned, Steve, there's not a lot of information uh, at our disposal just yet. Is it, is, you know, is it, is a scandal to the point that I know a lot of people on social media are um, already saying that Juventus are going to be relegated to Serie B. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily on the table, but, then again, we just don't have that information um, available to us. Uh, could it be points getting docked? Um, that would be cool. Would it be one of those scenarios where it's uh, retroactive to a certain year and by virtue of that, Roma <laughs> win a Scudetto uh, <laughs> on the back end? Um, I guess I guess that remains to be seen. But I will ask, is this you know rock bottom for Nedved? that started off when Kafu sombreroed him all those years ago. <laughs> yeah. So when, when I saw this, you know, and you're seeing financial, you know, kind of changing things up in the books to, to get by during COVID and stuff, it 
makes it very clear why Agnelli was so pissed when the Super League fell apart, right? Yep. Because that that was he was banking on that. There, there's no question he was banking on that to try to you know join those other you know giants of European football, so to speak, the Madrids and the Barcelonas and those those English sides and PSG, and you know we're going to be able to cover all of our losses and we'll be fine. And clearly that didn't come to fruition. And then here they were between a rock and a hard place and someone called wind. And and here we are now the talk of city B, I, I'm not sure if that happens, but it also makes you wonder, is that actually good for the league uh, in terms of their marketability, right? If Juve goes to city B again, uh, I saw a tweet, I think it was from Carlo Garganese of the, amount of TV revenue that these leagues bring in the premier league and La Liga are both over like 2 billion. Um, and it said, yeah, I was like 500 million for it's like rights outside of the country or something. And if you lose, you know, Juve, that's one of your more marketable teams. Does that actually help the league financially? I don't think so. Does it, you know, help the league from a competitive balance? I don't know because we saw when Juve went down back in uh, 06, it was pretty much Inter's league to win every year for a few years in a row because that it, you know, there was one less team to foil whoever the best team was at that time. So I don't know. Um, and I'm curious to see how they go about it, you know, because if it's a financial thing, do you dock points? I mean, is, is it possible to say, Oh, this affected the on the play, you know, outcomes. I don't know. Or does it become something maybe like, Barcelona where there was transfer bans and, you know, they, they have to find their way back into the financial good graces in order to ha- be able to make a certain amount of transfers. I don't know. I'm curious to see the way it plays out. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody would love to, to, to laugh at Juve if they got relegated again, it would certainly be <laughs> not unprecedented because of Calciopoli, but I don't know if it's in the, the long-term benefit of the league. Uh, so I think in the short term, it would, disastrous feels like hyperbole because there's so many other teams in the league but it it, it would definitely be a, a stain on the league i think though in the long term say for example Juve do get relegated i think it forces the league to really take a hard look at what's going on and even pushes them to tear the whole thing down top to bottom in terms of how they currently operate and maybe out of that you get a more sustainable business model to where eventually you could rival the Premier League in terms of uh, the revenue that we so often talk about. I think that might be a gap that's too far to bridge. But if we we you know we always complain as fans of City, uh, all the questionable activity that goes on with this league, and I think a scandal like this happening again in such a short span of time because. 16 years is is really a blink in the a blink of an eye so i think from that perspective it could it could do the league some some um some good in the long run but i, I certainly in the short term it would be it would be disastrous i'm yeah, not I, yeah go ahead jim i don't know i i understand that juventus is a fixture of serie a but also, let's be real, they've been bumping their head up against underperforming in the Champions League for forever. It's not like they're doing that much to help our coefficient. And I know that last time you've, like, let's say that they got relegated or whatever. Last time that happened, Inter just picked up the pieces and won a couple Scudettos. I don't think that would happen this time around. I think that there's a lot more parity in the league, period. 
Um, and I don't think, if anything, I think that it would be better for the league to actually, you know, make it clear that financial trickery isn't going to fly. And of course, there's the open question of how many other clubs are doing things like this. I would not be surprised if the answer was several. But still, I would just say more broadly that one way or another, Serie A needs to have more financial solvency and more financial like integrity if it's going to be a successful league on par with the Premier League so that there doesn't need to be a Super League. And Juventus cooking the books is not the way to get there and they should be punished for whatever they've done yeah and, and one thing i wonder too in, in a country like italy where it's uh a lot more like tribal in terms of your alliances to teams than like say here in the united states where if a prosecutor is is prosecuting a company or or maybe a team was doing something wrong which we don't really see here because the, the leagues kind of regulate things a lot better um, nobody's going to say, oh, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I'm going to go after the Yankees for that reason. Like, I feel like in Italy, you know, if a prosecutor is one of the a fans of one of the Milan sides, oh, you know, let's really look closely at Juve and, and vice versa. And I wonder if conversely there, you know, Juve has enough friends within government or within, you know, the league to kind of mitigate their their losses and, and their punishment. And I just wonder how much, you know, back backdoor dealing there'll be versus, you know, in a country like the United States, or maybe it's different in England or something like that, where the, the structure is a little better. That, that always makes me wonder with a country like Italy. Um, but just from the, the, the league, you know, marketability standpoint, it's like, you know, removing the Cowboys from the NFL as much as I hate them or the, the Yankees from the, the, you know, baseball, um, the league loses a little appeal from, from a marketing and, and selling ticket standpoint. That, so I just wonder how much it would hurt in the, the short term. And then, you know, how do they emerge in the long term? So, Something to keep an eye on. I definitely think it's something we'll have to to watch. How does it affect Roma this season on the pitch if Juve does get a point deduction or something like that? Um, it'll certainly be something interesting to see. And I think the funny thing in, is, too, um, everybody thought that uh, Max Allegri wouldn't make it through the season. And look, he's the last man standing at Juventus. So <laughs> I guess he's still got a job. <laughs> For him. <laughs> so so the other big news in the you know the uh, two weeks or so since we last recorded was that Ole Sobakin is finally a Roma player uh he signed I know Roma was trying to negotiate with Bodo to let him come to the Portugal training camp next month I don't know if that's going to happen or not but he will be a Roma player and available in January so uh you know Costa Harry Haran one of his other questions while we're on it it wants to know what does he bring to Roma Maybe one other player who could actually get the ball in the net. Sure, I hope so. I mean, like, seriously. <laughs> like, apologies to our forward contingent because I was incredibly hyped for them coming into this season. But Roma's biggest problem this year has been, outside of Dybala, our attackers have been woeful. And so at the very least, you know, you can hope that maybe he provides even a bit of pressure during training. The idea that there's another guy who just came in who's hungry that might actually push players to play better. And if he plays better on the pitch during actual matches, that'd be great too. But my main focus is, you know, our attack sucks right now somehow, despite having brought in a lot of great players and maintaining a lot of great players. I remember coming out of the summer Mercado, it was like half of the trick of the summer Mercado wasn't just bringing in great players. We didn't sell any major pieces either. And the fact that they've been so miserable up front is incredibly surprising. 
Now, part of that, I think, actually will get resolved by the fact that we do a lot of our players are not going to the World Cup, uh, in part because Italy, apologies to the people out there, shat the bed, um, but also because, you know, for technical reasons and for form reasons, a lot of our key players just weren't called up by their their home country. Uh, I would say that that could be a good sign for Roma's attack going forward. But even if, you know, Tammy Abraham comes out hot in January, I would say that having Solbakken in there can only be a good thing in the sense that it probably pushes the other players to feel a little bit more worried about their perpetual spot in the starting 11. Yeah, for me, I'll preface this by saying that I sincerely, sincerely hope that Ola hits the ground running. I hope that he has um, the level of impact that a fellow Norwegian attacker had on a league that he recently joined. I'm looking at you, Erling Holland. Having said that, I'm not expecting much, if at all, at least in the second half of this season. Um, There's so many factors at play, new league, new country, new language, new teammates you need to get to know. Um, and you know, it's, we're, we're bringing, we're bringing in a rotation player, hoping that it pans out to be much more than that. I think Jimmy was spot on with you hope that it's a kick in the pants to, to some of the attackers above him in the depth chart. Um, in our mid season Q and a, I compared my expectations, uh, to what Carlos Perez impact was. Um, when he was on Roma, I, 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 you know, I think that's the baseline. I think, I think he'll pa- surpass that. But part of that is just not having seen him outside of those two um, matches that we played against Bodo in the in the um, in the Conference League last season. Um, so, having said that, I, I don't know. I, it's it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I, I honestly think that it that the move won't be worth all the headache that's uh, caused Roma. But I think that's, you know, this Bodo, Bodo uh, playing salty for no reason other than uh, to be vindictive um, after last year. But um, like I said, I, I really hope I'm wrong. And I, I, and I, you know, it ends up being one of Mourinho's top attacking options off the bench. I think getting an early goal will do wonders for his confidence and can kind of uh, get him kickstarted on that front. But um, until we see him in, in, in action, I think he's still a big unknown for me. Yeah, I agree. I was looking at his numbers um, when they made the signing because I did the signing right up and uh, you know, his numbers don't really jump out at you that much in Norway. I think he had like a seven goal, seven assist season or something a couple seasons ago. Um, you know, the same season, and they kind of cross over because Norway runs like the U.S. season where it's like spring to, to late fall uh, because of the climate. And it's hard to like tally up his goals in all competitions for that reason. But, you know, he he plays as a winger or played as a winger there. Right now we don't play winger. So I'm wondering if he has enough defensive ability right now and, you know, is responsible enough defensively to play as one of those wing back positions if we stick with this. 3-4-2-1-3-5-2 look or does he shift a little more centrally in that role does Mourinho maybe have a signing like this as with an eye moving back to a 4-2-3-1 at some point this season or next um, but I agree with Brandon I think there's a lot of thing you know factors to take into his account when he's transitioning to this decide mid-season uh, new league and language and all those things and uh, I'm not expecting him to you know have a Carvacellia 
impact like we've seen in Napoli. If he does, God, Tiago Pinto, like, thank, thank you for the signing. But I think it's going to be a little slow going at first. Hopefully make some sub-appearances where he can make an impact. And I think it really just means that uh, Shamordov gets shown the door because I don't, I don't think they're bringing another attacker with what we have ready and keeping him around. So I think it'll be him on the way out. You know, Solbakken kind of takes on his role of being a, 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 a guy who can make an impact, hopefully off the bench. Uh, a little more of an impact than Shamordov has made and uh, hopefully turns into a, a player that can really have an impact next season. The, the cruel irony of that is I've just started to warm up to Shamordov and uh, <laughs> <laughs> here he goes looking for exit door hits coming his way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So over the last week or so, Rome has also been in Japan for a couple of friendlies. I believe they, they drew both of them. I think one, one and two, two, um, you know, I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, it's Roma's like D team to me. It wasn't really the D team. It was like the B team maybe or B minus team with a couple of younger players mixed in. But like Abraham played these matches, some of these other guys. So I don't know if it's a matter of not caring so much or just kind of getting the reps in or, you know, it means a little more to the Japanese sides with the big European team coming around. But uh, not impressive from the numbers I've seen uh, in terms of score lines and things. I haven't gotten to watch any of the matches. So with that in mind, Ben C18 asks, should we honestly buy any stock into these Japan games? In my opinion, the best result we should be cheering for is no injuries. Could care less about drawing to Japanese teams and some scrimmages. Yet seeing people unironically freak out. So what do you guys make of that? I mean, I like the new kits they got. Those are dope. Um, more seriously, though, I would agree that no injuries and, you know, just getting some more mileage on your legs is probably what you want to get out of a tour like this. In addition to, you know, expanding the brand's reach, expanding the team's reach to on a more global stage i can't look for too much more than that yeah that's about it i think that's all that needs to be said really Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean yeah it's you certainly should not be taking too much stock into these results me as a fan have almost entirely disconnected mentally from um Roma just to, just to get some of my sanity back after that first half of the season but other than keeping up with you know the the rumors that we track over at CDT so uh, I also haven't seen a minute of these preseason friendlies but um, the same way that we don't really take too much stock into uh, the friendlies in advance of the season starting um, so so I feel the same about the, the, these mid-season friendlies that we have lined up I think I think it's great to expose, um, you know, uh, a new country to to Roma if they if they hadn't previously, um, you know, were too familiar with with what Roma is all about. And I think that's that's excellent. Um, but in terms of in terms of taking anything away from these results, it's, there's really it's you know it's an exercise in futility. It's the lineups that are getting thrown out there are not what we're going to see when the second half of the season resumes. So as long as everybody um, comes away unscathed, I think it's a win-win. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of the Japanese friendlies, one of our, our readers, listeners, Balon Di Toti has actually gotten to watch more than us. And he said, Bove has been exceptional. These Japan friendlies is Fratesi worth pursuing. If it means losing him, meaning Bove and giving, uh, given the fact that when is returning as well, Bove's so young still. That's the thing for me. If we send him on a dry loan for the rest of the season, 
I'm not too torn up about it. In fact, I think it probably would be better for its development than having to sit behind our midfield as it currently exists. I know that we crap on the Cristante Matic double pivot for valid reasons on a regular basis. But I would also just say that, you know, as good as Bove looks like he could be, Cristante and Matic are far better players than him at this particular moment in time. It would make a lot more sense for him to go to a small Serie A side and build up, so get some reps uh, right now than it would be expecting him to break to the starting 11 at the expense of players like that. Uh, that just doesn't happen that often. Like, like Zalewski just breaking in to the starting 11 as like a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, doesn't happen that often. And like Volpato is slowly becoming a part of the rotation for the forwards. That's largely because of what we were just saying before, which is our forwards have sucked this season. And like Volpato would not be breaking through otherwise. I can guarantee you that like if Tammy Abraham was banging in the goals, if Zaniola was banging in the goals, Volpato would not be seeing the pitch. And so given that our midfield is pretty deep, especially with Wijnaldum coming back, I think it makes sense for, for Bove to go away for a bit and, you know, would it be that bad to have Bove even sold permanently and then brought back three to four years from now in the same way it looks like we might do with Fertesi? I don't think it would be terrible. Uh, it's essentially what we've done in the past with other young players where we sold half their rights before that was illegal. Um, and Sassuolo, wherever, wherever he would go, I, I'm sure that he would seize on the opportunity. He seems like a pretty determined guy. Yeah, I'll just add on to that. Um, I know the the question referenced his performances in the Japan friendlies, uh, which is, in truth, great to hear, um, especially if we're keeping him around. But at the same time, uh, and I know Bobe has a little bit more of an extensive body of work, uh, but look back to a year ago where Felix Afenagian was, you know, the next big thing, and then that quickly fizzled out, and then we ship them out to Cremonese. So um, with these young players, they, they, they go hot and cold and um, you never really know when that, when what part of the season that's going to come into play. And so when you're in the middle of a champions league race, you need players who are a little bit more um, proven than, than the youngsters are at this point in their careers. And I think for Roma, they've, it looks like they've decided that the trade-off of Fratesi and Bove is, is worth it. Um, and if you're going off of who can help you get into the Champions League now, I think Fortezzi is a better answer to that question than Bove is right now. Yeah, I agree. I think it comes down to proven uh A midfielder at this point, right? Uh, to me, Fratezzi, I, I, I want him back at Roma badly. I watch him play for Sassuolo, and I want him. Uh, I think he would fit so well. I think he has that grinta that Mourinho would love. He crashes the box, would be able to chip in goals that way. I think he'd be a true box-to-box guy. I love Bove's potential, but like you said, these are J- the friendlies in Japan. I, and like Jimmy said, I think his development elsewhere would probably be beneficial. You know, he made the the club as a full-time member this season and he made the first team, but he we, we've barely seen him play. And, and it's good to an extent to get that training exposure like he did last year and then the first half of this year. But at the same time, you want him getting minutes. So I, I really like him see him go at least on a dry loan somewhere to – um, I don't remember which clubs are linked to him. I think Cremonese or, you know, a Lecce or a club like that would be probably a good thing for him. And if he does go, like Jimmy said, for 
two years uh, on a loan with option and, and a buyback clause or something like that, I think it's worth it to to move him to get Fratezi and hopefully bring him back if he's worth bringing back. Um, you know, because a lot of players have potential, but not everyone reaches in. Right now, Fratezi is reaching that potential, and he has a strong desire to come to Roma, which not every player does. And I think we have to take advantage of that if we can get the right price from Sassuolo with him, you know, him hope, hoping to push his way back to Roma. Yeah, that's the key, right? You're going to get a player who will live and die by the shirt. And exactly. that's exactly what you want. So for sure, bring him in. Yeah. Uh, while we're on young midfielders, uh, Belong de Toti actually brought up another one in one of his other questions that, saying, Tahirovic is our next best center mid after Pellegrini and Matic. Not even joking. Is that because of how poor our midfield is? or how good he is. Um, to me, this is kind of a knee-jerk reaction. He's played very little. Uh, again, this is probably partially from the Japan friendlies because he's played there. Another kid with great potential, but I think it's uh, a bit of a stretch to say he's our, our third-best center mid right now just because of how young and how unproven he is. I'm going to no comment this one because I have yet to see him play. <laughs> Jimmy, anything? Not much more than what Brandon's already said. <laughs> Sorry yeah. to be blunt. <laughs> no, it's all right. I, I think, and, I, and that's why I responded right away. Just, I hope he's as good as you know the, this listener thinks he is. And I, I, he's, you know, they've raved about him. Mourinho has raved about him, but again, young, unproven. I don't think he's going to provide much going forward this season. But hopefully, in the long term, he, uh, you know, he's able to. I think that's the key. So we'll, we'll get one or two more questions in before we wrap this week's episode, and then we will get to many more of your listener questions next week. So guys, we'll end with a lighthearted one here, and then uh, we'll we'll get into more of the, the deeper stuff next week. So we had one from, let me just pull up who it was from. Uh, everybody calm down. He asked, Roma in Japan, forget what's best for the team of marketing and reality. Purely for pleasure, where would you like to spend a few weeks midseason that's not Italy? Do you have an answer ready? Uh, I'm I'm trying to think if it's winter, like if we're talking about right now, uh, you know, climate wise, I guess most countries that, you know, teams typically train in are getting into their winter season. Um, so I'm guessing, I, I think the team going to Portugal is a good idea because Portugal will probably be very nice this time of year. It's still fairly mild. Otherwise, you know, maybe a, a trip to, South America would be cool. Maybe Argentina play some friendlies with those kind of clubs or something like that, or Brazil where it's uh, getting to, to be summertime, maybe get you guys training in a nice climate, uh, relaxing a bit, maybe some good team bonding. If we're looking at it from a team perspective, uh, those are some places that come to mind. Maybe Australia uh, would be a, a cool place. You know, that's another market that you could tap. Um, even though they said, forget the marketing possibility. So those are some, some ideas that just jumped to mind off the top of my head. Yeah, if, if you're you're kind of going where I was thinking as well, especially if it's purely for pleasure. My two choices would be either Portugal or New Zealand. Um, have yet to go to New Zealand, but went to Portugal over the summer and loved it. And um, I kind of live vicariously through the players whenever they announce that they're doing another uh, training camp in Portugal. So um, I'm hoping one of these days. I'll have some free time around the next time that they'll do it. And I'll definitely go out there and, and see them over there. Yeah. Those Portugal training camps have looked beautiful. And I think that the uh, Friedkins have some deal with a hotel out there with, cause they always hype that up during the in the tweets, uh, some resort that they, that they have out in Portugal. Uh, I would say 
I really like the idea of a Japan tour. Um, I also think that doing a U.S. tour again would actually probably be very smart for Roma in the next couple seasons. Uh, just in terms of, you know, I think that especially leading into the 2026 World Cup, there's going to be even more interest in what Americans call soccer. Uh, and having the actual full squad be in the U.S. for preseason could be fantastic. Uh, in terms of like kind of more vibrant locations to visit, I think it would be interesting to try to do for Roma to do a trip to Australia, New Zealand, uh, pretty much anywhere in Asia. It would be a lot of pain, a pain in the neck to try to watch the matches as we've figured out from uh, trying to watch these Japan friendlies. But, you know, I think it would be worth it in terms of once again, I think half of these type training deals are for actually getting the team to gel and the other half is kind of from a marketing perspective to try to get more people interested in the club so anywhere where roma really hasn't been already seems like it could be an interesting idea yeah i'm hoping they come back stateside real soon one of these summers so i get back to a match i, I enjoyed that for for a while with the palota regime there was a, a good run of like four or five summers in a row where it or felt like four or five summers in a row with maybe an asia tour mixed in that they were here stateside so i'm hoping they come back but i think you know, Australia is uh, definitely a cool place where they could market a bit. I think Japan is great from a marketing perspective. Don't don't won't be surprised if they get to China at some point in the next few years too. If the Freakins really want to make this like a global club, like they uh, seem to aspire to do. Speaking of the um, the old U.S. tours, um, back when they were doing them, I lived in Miami, and so for for some for some reason they had maybe a five day retreat at. Uh, the Disney sports complex in Orlando. And so, um, God, I can't even remember how old I was, but took the drive up to see them. And that was my first and only time seeing Roma in person. They played Orlando city prior to, um, them becoming an MLS team. So it was a really bare bones facility. And, um, I distinctly remember Skorupski walking around and did get the seat Dotti, um, and took a picture with Florenzi and, and Rodrigo today as well, which was cool. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's a huge endorsement for, for me to, for them to bring that back. Yeah, for sure. So we thank you guys for, uh, you know, submitting so many questions. We have a bunch more we didn't get to. We will definitely weave those into the next episode or two as we get through this, this long break. It's, uh, you know, long for us too, from a coverage standpoint. So it's nice to talk about the things you guys are want to hear about besides just, rumors that pop up because those can get uh to be a bit much after a while uh, as the papers in italy try to get sell paper so to speak um so if you if you have questions that you want to submit the link is in the write-up for um the submission via the google form we'll, we'll definitely keep getting to those over the next few weeks and uh, we thank you guys for listening anything you guys want to leave the listeners with nope looking forward to the next round of questions thank you guys Same here. yeah so thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week